What's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Verzi Effect podcast show, episode number 12. I am comedian Paul Verzi, and uh, this is, today is, unfortunately, I'm doing this so late that it's actually Monday, March 21st. I was supposed to do this podcast four days ago. I was supposed to post it up earlier. I apologize Shit got crazy, traveling upstate, traveling to New Jersey. Uh, My son was sick with an ear infection. So if that's not good enough for you, fuck off and stop listening right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, please understand that uh, I wanted to have this up earlier. And I do apologize. I'm going to finally get this thing on a certain day, um, which I think is going to be uh, Wednesday or Thursday. I haven't decided which day. But this is going to be the last one that's off. And then, um, see, here's what happens. I have um, uh, people that know computers better than me. They post it up on certain days. All right, I just I just record it. All right, I'm just a talent, people. All right, give me a break. I'm not a, you know what, it's actually much more simple than this, uh, than I'm making it. But, um, no, I am going to have this up on Wednesday or Thursdays from now on. So this is the last one that's going to be screwed up. Um but today's March 21st. Uh, this is the second one I'm recording because the first one I'm recording, uh, I, the first one I recorded um, didn't really, uh, I was in a rush and I wasn't able to give my listeners what they deserve, which is a non-half-assed bullshit podcast. So that's why this one's coming to you later. See, I could have done this, you know, just, you know, done a quick shitty one giving it to you guys, and that would have been the end of it. Nobody would have said anything, but I would have known that I didn't put 100% into the podcast, which I can't allow. So um, here we go, episode number 12. And um, right off the bat, I'm doing something I haven't really done on um, the Verzi Effect podcast show, but I'm going to open up this week's show with Unacceptable for the Week. And Unacceptable for the Week If you guys were really paying attention, you would realize that last week's Unacceptable for the Week didn't happen because I forgot to do it. Okay, and that's the first time. So that is what is unacceptable for the week this week. Unacceptable for the week is me forgetting on my own show, which I came up with and created the Unacceptable segment, uh, forgetting to do it and not doing it on my own show. So... That is completely unacceptable. It will not happen again. If it happens again, call me out on it. But I realized afterwards that I didn't do it. I didn't even listen to the last, um, you know, I didn't even listen to the last episode. Uh, usually what I do is after I uh, make an episode of the Verzi Effect podcast, I just make sure that it went through and then it gets posted up. Um, so I forgot to do unacceptable, which is completely unacceptable on my part. I do apologize and um, that's not going to happen again. But it, it, like I said, it's been a crazy week. Um, my son was really sick this week. I had my son. And um, I, I just got to say, going to the doctor and dealing with what we had to deal with with my son was absolutely terrible. I'll give you guys the breakdown, the story. This is what happened for you parents who have little kids. Um, you know this. Uh, is is the worst thing to do, but me as a first-time parent having only one kid who's not even two years old, I'm dealing with a bunch of shit here that I never had to deal with before. For example, uh, I take my son out of the crib earlier in the week, 
and he was he was hot. You know, I felt his. You know, it's just he just felt his skin felt hot. He felt like he was burning up, but he wasn't complaining about anything. You know, he wasn't crying. He wasn't really, you know, making it like it was anything. So I'm like, oh, maybe he's just hot. Maybe it's how he slept. So the day goes on. He's not complaining about anything. Next day, he's warm again, not complaining about anything. The day after, he starts tugging on his ear a little bit. My wife says, watch him, check his ear. We'll see what happens. Maybe he's got an ear infection. That's what's bothering him, an earache, whatever. So that Friday, my wife, Friday, my wife was supposed to go into work. And she doesn't because she says, we're taking the baby to the doctor because he's pulling on his ear. I think he's got an ear infection. So we go to the doctor. And let me just say off the bat, my son associates the doctors now with pain, crying, torture. It's just like for him, he just knows it's going to instantly be something that he doesn't like to do. So he, he's already got his, you know, he's got his guard up, which I don't blame him. You know, he's got his guard up. It's like, it's just horrifying to know you're taking, you know, something that you love so much to something that it hates so much and it sucks already, but we got to go in there and do it. So we go to the doctor's office and they call us right in. We go into like the little examining room there, and uh, each room has like a theme at our doctor's office. One room is like the Disney theme, where they got the Disney characters all over the wall. One's like an African animal theme. One is whatever. This one was, um, I forgot which one this one was. This one was just like, I think like toys or shit, whatever it was. So we bring um, a little puzzle, one of those like wooden little puzzles. So they fit in like the shape of the animal into the puzzle. So we start distracting him. So far, he's being cool. Then the doctor walks in. Doctor walks in, and as soon as the doctor walks in, my son goes, no, no. And he looks at me, and he looks at my wife, Stacy. He goes, no, no. Then he looks at the doctor. He goes, no. Doctor's trying to be nice. I'm like kind of, you know, holding in my laughter because I just see my son's face, and it's just hysterical to me. And me, you know, I my mind sometimes always goes to the comedic, you know, like I could find funny in anything. Every, anybody could. It's not just a comedian. But my mind happens to go, you know, right away. Like whether I'm at a wake or a funeral, my mind just goes to where is the funny in this, you know, in this. Um, so my son is just, you know, and I'm just like trying to, you know, you know, trying to tell myself this is going to go quick for everybody. It's not going to be that bad. So all of a sudden the guy grabs the instrument that he has to put in my son's ear with the light on to look in my son's ear. My son instantly starts crying. He's crying his eyes out, no, no, you know, just like, and, and it sucks. And he's like, you know, all right, mom, hold him. So my wife is holding him on the lap. The doctor puts the instrument in, in uh, Lucas's ear and he's screaming and he's screaming, daddy, daddy, crying. And it's really hard so that gets done. Then they spin him around on my wife's other side of my wife's lap. They're looking in the other ear, and he's screaming, and he's screaming. I think it's going to be over. And sure enough, the doctor says, oh, you know, he's got, he's got a little bit of wax in there, or he's got something in there that's blocking. We're going to have to lay him down, lay him down on the bed that we have, you know, the, the little thing that they have there, the examining thing, you know, with the, you know, with the rice paper shit that's on it. And, and he says, Mom, you're going to have to hold his head. And dad, you're going to have to hold his knees. So now, not only am I in total discomfort that my son is being, in his mind, tortured, but now I have to play the guy holding my son's knee down 
and contribute in his torture, which I'm not happy with. But he's got to put some sharp metal instrument in my son's ear to, you know, move stuff around, scrape stuff out, whatever he's got to do. Now my son is losing his fucking mind. He's going like, ah, ah, daddy. And that's the worst. He's screaming, dada, daddy. And, and my wife is holding his head and his eyes are away from me. But I see his eyes trying to find me, which was fucking heartbreaking. And his little knees and legs are kicking and I got to hold him down as much as I can. And I, I mean, at this point, I'm like, all right, I want to stab the doctor and run out with my son. And he's just screaming for me. And, and finally, after all of that, it was done, and it's hysterical because my son's going, all done, all done, bye-bye. And he's screaming bye-bye, and as he's screaming bye-bye, he's waving in the doctor's face because that's like a new thing that he learned. <laughs> so it was just hilarious. Um, you know, after, you know, heartbreaking, it was just funny. But, you know, he cried so much, he was breaking blood vessels in his face. And uh, it, it just really was really tough. And I'm sure a, a, any parent listening to this knows when you have to deal with that, it's, it's insane. You know, they're just like um, the loves of your life and they, and they feel like they're being betrayed. You almost feel like you're betraying them. Uh, my wife, who knows all this stuff is for Lucas's own good, was saying like, is it okay if we take him out in, the, in like, you know, the, the waiting area to play with some toys? And the doctor says, you know, you could, but I wouldn't. Let's just finish this here. You don't want him to always, you know, you don't want to basically let him know, listen, if something goes bad, all of a sudden things are going to get good. Um, so we didn't do that, but it was really tough for both of us. My wife was almost crying. My son's screaming for me. It was heartbreaking. Um, turns out that my son is, is a little tough guy, man, because he had a double ear infection. One was really red. The other was a little bit. But when he was home, he wasn't letting us know. So the only thing that let us know he was fighting something was the fever. Other than that, you know, this kid's just taken like, like, a, like a champ dealing with it, um, which as a dad is hilarious. Like as a doctor's like, oh, you know, he's, he's tough. I'm kind of like nodding my head like, yeah, of course he is, you know. Uh, <laughs> but it was really tough to deal with, and he was so tired afterwards, and it, it sucked. The whole experience uh, was really tough. So that that's kind of why... On top of having to deal with so much stuff with work and my wife's job and, and me getting dates and traveling and everything, dealing with him being sick was not easy. Um, and, um, you know, it, it comes down to this. You have to do it for your kids because it's for their own good. You don't want your kid to get sick. So he had to get the antibiotics. He had to get better. But what just finding out, even in that short time, watching your son go through that or your daughter go through that and I talk on stage about how I never had a love like this in my life like I do for my son and I have some cool jokes about it but um you know I would it, it's amazing how you get so selfless when you have a kid where you want it to be you like you'll take the torture you know you'll jump in front of a car or in front of a bullet in a heartbeat for your kid um but not your wife <laughs> no uh so that was that was what was going on with um, you know, and then the grandmothers want to find out, you know, what's going on. So you got to tell the grandmothers everything, because God forbid they miss one minute of his uh, <laughs> of anything that happens. It's so funny how grandmothers are, you know, like I, I guess all grandparents, not just grandmothers, grandfathers too. But I've noticed because, you know. 
like my dad will ask questions about him and, and, and are to totally into him and talks about how beautiful he is and how he can't wait to see him and he's so smart. And he says awesome things like that. But like the grandmothers just seem like, and it's and I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're almost, it's almost nosy and intrusive, but it's just because they love them so much. You know, it, it's like they want to know everything because it's, it's, it's their grandchild and, and it's a great feeling for them too. But it's just funny how like my mom asks questions, my mother-in-law asks questions and, and you got to give them the book report on what's going on. Um. It'd be hilarious if one time you're like, yeah, a lot of stuff's going on with Lucas, but uh, yeah, it's really none of your business right now. We'll we'll tell you if we feel like it. <laughs> Just leave them waiting. No, I know that's terrible. Uh, but no, my mom asked 20 questions. So, oh, and speaking of grandmothers, okay, um, it's really funny because my wife's birthday just passed, uh, March 15th. My wife turned. Uh, my wife turned 32. I don't think I was supposed to say that. I don't think she wants people to know her age. But she, um, you know, she had a birthday. And when my mom buys her something clothes-wise, she loves it more than anybody else who buys her clothes. She wears the most. For some reason, my mom just knows my wife's taste. I, like, the best. You know, like, it's weird. Like, my wife even says, she'll go, that, that, I love it. You know, it's like, that's exactly me. My wife, my wife, like has her own style, and my mom is really good at, I guess, picking that. And now the funny thing is, my mother-in-law, she buys me the best clothes. You know, I think it's something funny with, you know when somebody doesn't really, like, hang out with you all the time, but they just see you every once in a while, and they know your style, or they know what looks good on you? That's what I think it is. Those people buy better for you than people that are around you all the time. Because I gotta be honest, my mom has bought me some awful clothes. I'm not even bullshit. My mom bought me a shirt once. It was a lime green button down. Okay, now if a lime green button down isn't bad enough, this lime green button down shirt my wife got me, I swear to God, had, I mean, my mother got me. Uh, my wife knows better. My wife wouldn't do that. The, the, the lime green button down shirt that my mom got me also had purple pinstripes. And they weren't like little thin purple pinstripes that you have to like squint your eyes to see. No, my mom decides to get me a lime green button-down shirt with thick purple pinstripes. I looked like a, I, I swear to God, I looked like a Batman villain when I tried it on. And I was just like, Mom, are you serious? Like, is this like a, is this part of a Halloween costume? Because there's no way in hell I'm walking around in public for anybody in the world to see me. Could you imagine if I wore that on stage performing? That would be honestly grounds to just shit on me and I'd have to take it if somebody heckled me with that shirt on I wouldn't even have to I wouldn't be able to even talk back or give them shit although I'm so prideful I would probably find a way to make the shirt look cool and try to shit on the person but no seriously I would just go along with it and be like you're right I can't believe I brought this shirt on stage my mother-in-law on the other hand awesome solid colored you know cashmere sweaters uh the button down she gets me are great uh, she just knows how to shop for me. So my mom with my wife and my mother-in-law with me uh, gets good clothes. So I guess the moral of that story is if you love somebody, don't buy them a lime green button-down shirt with purple, you know, purple pinstripes or any kind of pinstripes or any kind of dots or polka dots or any kind of weird colors. No vibrant neon colors. You know, I like to wear solid colors, black, grays, dark blues. I'm simple. You know, I'm a dude. I wear a nice pair of shoes or a nice pair of sneakers. I wear some, you know, solid color shirts and I go about my day minding my business 
and I don't want to look like somebody who's got a, you know, who's going to the circus or something, or a magician. Even magicians wouldn't wear a lime green shirt with a with purple pinstripes. Uh, my mom's hilarious though, because my mom like gives it to me excited. She'd be like, "And look at this one, this one I got for you. It was on sale." And you know, of course it was on sale, mom. It's fucking terrible. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to buy or wear that shirt. Um, so uh, that was, uh, you know, that was uh, my mom buying me a lime green shirt, and uh, it was fucking awful. So don't do that to anybody. Um, okay, let's get into sports. Sports for the week. What can I say? I did not, for the first time ever, I did not fill out my NCAA college brackets. I know what some of you are thinking. How can you be a sports fan and not do it? I know this is the first year that I haven't, di- uh, you know, have, have not filled out anything. I didn't even fill out one bracket, let alone the 10 that you can do on ESPN, which I normally do. I normally do one on Yahoo. I didn't do any. But I will say this. There is a nice calm and peace to not doing it. To not worried about, you know, getting your... And, and if I did do it this year, let's be honest, with the with the huge upsets in the first round this year, Moorhead winning and all this shit, I would have been I would have been dead anyway. You know? But when you fill out the brackets, you go and you want to see what you're ranked. And the funny thing is, I used to get psyched being like 200,000th in the world, you know, because there'd be 4 million people that do it, and you'd be 200,000th, and you'd be like, well, I'm better than 3.5 million people. Although I will say this, one time I was in the top 1,000 out of 3 million, and I was psyched for that for a couple of rounds. And then that one went to hell too. But I did no brackets this year at all. Um, been busy, haven't really been able to watch it. No betting or gambling on it, um, which is something I'll probably do at the uh, you know towards the national championship. And I could say that a little loud now because my wife is not here, and I won't go big on it. So if you know, don't rat me out if you see her. So he told me he's gonna. He told me just to let you know. He told me that uh, he's gonna bet. Don't be a dick and do that. If you see me at a show and my wife is with me. Um, don't be a dick. Speaking of my wife, uh, coming to a show, I'll get back into the sports thing in a second, but uh, I didn't do this at the top of the show. Uh, I want to thank everybody. You had a great stand up week this week. I, um, Thursday night, I performed on the monthly, uh, Rich Ramirez show at the Pompeii Lounge in the Bronx, New York on East Tremont Avenue. When I heard that, I was a little scared. I was like, holy shit, I'm going to do the show, get paid then get mugged, raped, and then have somebody rob my pay. But it wasn't like that at all. <laughs> it was a great setup, great for comedy. A uh, lot of Latinos in the audience, but it was sold out, and uh, that was a great time. Then Thursday, I did a guest spot at Bananas Comedy Club. For you people who don't know what a guest spot is in comedy, a guest spot in comedy is when you just pop in with really, they have no intention you're coming uh, you, you know, you basically have the night off, but instead of taking the night off, you want to go into a club and just work out some new material. I walked into uh, Bananas. They put me on. I had I did like a did like a seven minute set. I tried out some new material. Worked out great. I was really really happy with it. Um, and uh, my buddy Joe Matarese, uh, who's been on my podcast and does the Fixing Joe podcast, uh, he was headlining there, so uh, he was cool with me getting on stage. That was fine. Then the next night, and a big reason why I did the guest spot on Friday, was because Saturday night I headlined the Railroad Playhouse in um, Newburgh, New York. 
which uh, my wife came with me. It was sold out, um, packed out. It was awesome. Uh, the Railroad Playhouse is a new venue um, on the waterfront in Newburgh, New York, right on the, on the river there. And it's it was an old railroad house that they gutted. They turned it into like this little theater. They're going to do like plays there. They're going to do all kinds of, you know, they're going to do all kinds of stuff with the arts at this uh, facility. And it was really, really nice. Uh, I had a long headline set. I did probably about over 50 minutes, I would say. Um, great time. Thank you all if you came out to the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I was really happy with the new material. And um, so it was a great weekend. Great Thursday, Friday, and Saturday on stage for me. And uh, it was cool because my wife doesn't get to come out and see me uh, too often just because with the baby. So it was nice. Uh, the baby was in uh, New Jersey with um, my uh, mother-in-law for the uh, weekend. So me and my wife got to hang and she got to see me work. So uh, thank you all for that. Now, back to the sports. Okay. Barry Bonds going to trial for this whole perjury thing. And I and, and I, I would never say this before because I think it's ridiculous that the government gets involved in sports, gets involved with steroids. And the question here isn't steroids. Everybody knows he did steroids. Everybody knows Clemens did steroids. Everybody basically knows that everybody Congress called in to talk did steroids. I mean, that's the bottom line. Nobody didn't do it. They all did it. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, they're trying to save their jobs. They all did it. Here's the thing. Barry Bonds arrogantly, and he's one of the most ego guys, the, the, the biggest ego, uh, very arrogant, talking shit, still denies it like Clemens. And guys like that are sociopaths. And guys like that, I wouldn't mind if they do make example of. Because here's the thing. Understand this. Government's got to make an example of somebody. Okay? You're not going to be called into Congress, lie to their face on, you know, national television. And, and let the, they, they have to make an example of you because they can't be made fools of. You know, that, that's what they're not going to allow that. Regardless of how silly it is and why they're even, you know, getting involved in sports, that's irrelevant. I agree with that being stupid. I agree with an athlete should not have to go to jail for this. I agree with that. I agree that everybody knows they were all on steroids. I agree with that as well. What I'm saying is when you lie to Congress on TV and you're steadfast in your lie and you just have that, that you know, Pete Rose for 25-year mentality where you're going to lie, 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 you're taking the lie, you're taking the lie, and you're lying, and now you're doing it in front of the government's face on TV and they basically are saying, we know you're fucking lying. Now we got to prove it, make an example of you. And Barry Bonds is like such a dick that I actually don't mind to see him be the guy they make an example of. Him and Roger Clemens, just lying sociopaths. You know, the, the type of guys, they don't sign autographs. They think they're better than people, you know. And, and I know people that, that have, you know, know Roger Clemens and met him. I do. And from what I heard, I mean, I don't want to judge just on one, what one or two people say, but, you know, he's just, he's just one of those guys that's not like, you know, I know people that know Andy Pettit. Said Andy Pettit's the salt of the earth. Nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Honest guy. What did Andy Pettit do? Andy Pettit came clean and said, yeah, I did it. I used HGH to heal my arm. Sorry, stupid move. I apologize. What happened to Andy Pettit? He played after that. People forgot about it pretty much, and that's it. Jason Giambi, he didn't lie. What happened there? He didn't lie. Fine. His career went to shit. You know, whatever. You know, I mean, he, he got sent out to Colorado. But either way, 
You know, I mean, he didn't have to do good with the Rockies. The bottom line is he got the opportunity. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of swept it under the rug because the guy came clean. Now, what happened to the people that lied and got caught lying? Rafael Palmieri, you never see him play again. Barry Bonds going through all these trials. Roger Clemens getting indicted. So I look at it like this. If you're going to be that arrogant, you got caught doing something, you know that somewhere down the line somebody's got the real concrete proof that you did it. So why keep lying? It's all ego shit. Fuck them. Throw them in jail for three months or whatever it is and just let them fuck. Get humble, asshole. You know, get humble. Admit the shit that you do. That's how I look at it. You know, honesty is the best part. You get caught doing something, just say it. Just say yeah. You know, and I know people say that he was... The thing about Barry Bonds is... Barry Bonds could not handle Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa being in the limelight like that. All that success. He couldn't handle it. So what happened was he said, all right, these guys... I'll show, I'll show these people what I'm made of. Barry Bonds was already a Hall of Famer, but it wasn't enough. He had to take it to the next level, and uh, that's why he's going through what he does. So, I mean, I feel bad for his kids. I feel bad for his family, but you know what? You're going to keep, if they have to make an example of somebody better a Barry Bonds and a Roger Clemens than, than an Andy Pettit or somebody who's just honest and admitted it, uh, that's how I look at it. Uh so we'll see what happens. We'll see if he goes to jail. But it is just silly, this whole thing that they got involved in. Um, you know, this whole steroid era of baseball. Uh, and now football. We don't know if there's going to be a football season because of these greedy assholes. All this shit happens, and the only people that really lose are the fans. Because when you go and you see a star that you love that's been phenomenal, and then you find out that they're cheating on drugs, it, it takes away from the experience. You know, when A-Rod hits a monster shot, you know, that goes almost 500 feet. It's like, all right. You know, there's always that in the back of your head now. Uh, and, and it does taint the game. I really think it does. Unless they make it legal and everybody could use it. And if they make it legal and everybody could use it, fuck it. There'd just be a bunch of monsters hitting the ball and it's an even playing field. But for the guys that aren't doing it, it's not fair and it takes away from the fans. So now football, these owners are being selfish. The players are, are calling out the owners. Now, you know, the players' union's getting It's just a big mess, and nobody knows if there's going to be football. I think there's going to be football because I think that the greed at the end of the day will, will let them realize, hey, they're going to they're gonna lose so much if games aren't played. You're going to lose so much in your fan base. People are going to be pissed off. The funny thing is me, even if football took five years off, on year six I'm back. I am back. There's nothing better than the NFL. It plays the best to television. You know, watching a guy catch a ball, watching a guy get, you know, a concussion is awesome. I mean, and is anything better than watching a football game where somebody just takes the meanest hit in the world or, you know, somebody catches a bomb for a touchdown? The answer is no. Football is the shit, and I just hope that we don't have to deal with anything like that. All these selfish fucking assholes, and uh, we're the ones who drag our asses there with our friends and our family buying $8 hot dogs and fucking $15 beers for these assholes, and, and they still don't show the appreciation. It's not enough. It's not enough. Um, but that's pretty much it with sports. Now I'm going to start getting into the Final Four a little more because um, I'm going to start getting into the Final Four now because it's, it's, it's crunch time. You want to see if Duke's going to win it again. I'm getting tired of Duke too. You know, I love Mike Krzyzewski. I think he's a great coach, but I'm getting tired of his face. And I'm getting tired of those two big wrinkles over his nose when he's yelling. You know that fucking face he makes where he almost looks like a, a rat? Uh, there you go, a rat on steroids. Bring the steroids thing full circle. 
Mike Krzyzewski looks like a, a, a clean-shaved rat on steroids when he starts yelling at his players, and it's starting to annoy me. So I could do without them this year. I'd like to see, like, you know, I'd like to see one of these no-name schools like VCU or even like Florida State win it all. That'd be cool. But, um, oh, I mentioned Jersey before. My son was in Jersey. Now, I got to mention this here on the podcast because I know you people have listened to my podcast and you've listened to me shit on New Jersey. I talk a lot of shit about New Jersey because I don't like to drive there. A lot of times I'm goofing around. I will say this. I don't like the state that much as far as driving through it, sometimes how it smells. But I do work there a lot. Uh, It's been great to me in my career. Great comedy clubs there. Great people. Great friends. I got family out there. Okay, so please understand, and I'm not trying to pick on Jersey all the time. However, something came to my attention, which is absolutely fucking hilarious. Okay, this is probably one of the funniest things, and it actually puts validation to all of the shit that I've talked, okay, about New Jersey. And, uh, and this is what happened. This is true. I'm actually going to put the link of this story on my Facebook so you people can see it. Um, okay, and once again, I hope you people know you can download all these podcasts for free on iTunes. But um, it was brought to my attention uh, from my Aunt Grace in Denver. Thank you, Aunt Grace. I really appreciate it. My Aunt Grace lives in Denver, Colorado, and she sent me uh, she sent me something expl- show, you know, telling me about this, and then she sent me over the link. Apparently, there's a guy who is suing his company. He's suing his employer for transferring transferring him to New Jersey because it sucks so bad and he can't stand it and he got depressed driving in it and he thinks it sucks compared to New York. I'm not kidding you. It was everything that I said and it just happened to be true with this guy. This guy said like he basically had a mental breakdown when his job transferred him to Jersey and he's suing the company because he said driving through Jersey sucks. I'm not even making this up. This is hilarious. He said, I want to find this guy and actually get him on the Verzi effect and talk to him. I don't know if this is going to be possible. If it is possible, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can do that. I don't know if I can. All right. I don't know if he's going to want to talk to a comedian on the comedian's radio show. Uh, but I, I, I w- I'm going to try. Because this guy, and I read, said that he had a mental breakdown driving through. He said it was depressing the smog and like just everything, the smell, the whole thing he thought was just so depressing, so he is suing. So listen, people, you might have given me shit and I might have been half joking, but a guy is suing because of the same feelings. So if it was me and this guy, you know there's other people out there. And uh, I know that I just made a lot of people pissed off, shaking their head, but you know what? What am I going to do? I was going to leave Jersey alone. I was done. I was done. Okay, I got family, I got friends, I was done, and then all of a sudden this guy, I find out this, how do I not talk about it? So thank you again, Aunt Grace, and I'm going to have this story posted up on my Facebook for you people to read about it. A mental breakdown going only a few miles away because one was Jersey and one was New York. Phenomenal story. Uh, need I say more? Um, uh, it's just, you know what, you can't write this shit. It falls on your lap, what are you going to do? You gotta, you gotta talk about it. Um, but uh, speaking of New Jersey, I will be going to one of the best. See, I said though, one of the best comedy clubs in the country is the Stress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey, right by Rutgers, right by uh, Rutgers campus. See, the thing about Jersey is there's some really nice parts of New Jersey, but then 
the nasty, stinky, swampy, shitty ones ruins it. You know? It's almost like a group of friends and the majority of them or like half of them are really nice. But then those scumbags that you, you know, that like kind of got into your circle make certain people not want to be with you. That's what like the smell through Elizabeth is and um, the horrible driving on all the exits. That's what it does to you. Um, but when you get down by the stress factory in New Brunswick, uh, it's awesome. One of the best clubs. <laughs> One of the best clubs in America. And um, it's like 350 people every show. And I'm working there uh, this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And Friday and Saturday I'll be working um, with none other than the legendary Dom Herrera, uh, who I recently worked with at Bananas in Jersey. Uh, but I will be with him uh, this week. And uh, Dom is a legend. He is uh, 30 years in the business. You name it, tonight shows. Uh, Craig Ferguson, and David Letterman, and uh, HBO, and, and you name it, he's done it, and uh, he, he's great, he was great to me when I worked with him, and uh, because of that, I'm working with him again, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Thursday night, I do not know who I'll be working with, but Friday and Saturday, I'll be on the 8 and 10.30 show with uh, Dom Herrera, so if you're in that area, please, um, you know, come through. Like I said, the Stress Factory does a phenomenal job. The place is always packed out. They they just set it up. It is perfect for comedy. They do a really good job. So uh, I will be there this week. And then the Sunday, after the Saturday uh, last show, I am flying out to Los Angeles, California um, to uh, do some shows out there. I'm going to uh, list the shows for my West Coast friends and uh, people on the West Coast uh, that are fans of mine, that listen to the podcast, that listen to my stand-up. Uh, I'm going to be out there. I don't know which shows or which comedy clubs are going to be in. I should be doing a bunch of stuff out there. Um, and I have a very special uh, very special guest coming up when I'm in Los Angeles on the Verzi Effect podcast. So stay tuned uh, uh, for that. And um, again, oh, oh, questions. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, every once in a while I'm going to have questions or, or address some things on here that um, people, you know, send me or want me to address or talk about. And guys, it could be serious too. If you want me to talk about something serious, hey, I could be serious, you know. It's not all fun and games. You know, I told you about my son breaking down at the thing and, you know, all kinds of shit. I tell you guys whatever you want to know. So um, let me know. So I did have a couple of things somebody said to me. Somebody oh, somebody asked me, when is it too soon? This was a great question. Somebody asked, when is it too soon to joke about something like a, you know, tsunami or earthquake, you know, um, and it's a great question because when horrible things like the uh, tsunami that just happened in um, Japan, uh, you know, Katrina in New Orleans, 9-11 in New York, and all these horrible things that happen, um, the, the, the way it usually works is bigger name comedians like Chris Rock and Seinfeld their window's a little shorter. They can kind of, they can kind of go in like once the dust settles, they could kind of go in and try to make light of it. Um, but it is a no-no for a while. And then you know, depending on how you do it and how you go about it, but um, there is a time frame there, and it's almost one of those things where you, it's a feeling. So I don't even know if I could give you an exact time of when it's right. You just get a feeling like, all right, you know, things have loosened up. Uh, things are kind of settling down now, uh, reasons why it happened, uh, you know, how it happened, when it happened, all that stuff is kind of behind you, so then you go in there, but I mean, listen, it's, it's really hard, 
like if I went into if I went into a comedy club tomorrow and I started talking about the tsunami in a funny way, it, uh, uh, you know, regardless of how clever the joke was, you're not going to get laughs because it really is just too soon. So uh, you'll kind of get a feeling like, all right, you know, this is clever. Time's gone by. But listen, anytime people are dying and shit, I mean, what are you going to do? But I will, I will say this, and a lot of people are going to disagree with this and not like this. Um, I, my heart goes out. Let me, let me just put this out there. My heart goes out to everybody. Um, who, who loses a loved one, who lost their lives because of something tragic. Um, how could it not? You know, we're humans. We're all the same at the end of the day. And you got you to gotta have that compassion unless you're just a, a fucking psychopath and you don't care. Um, but for me, like what I really am, am really going to gear my attention to and I'm going to, I think I'm going to be uh, putting some, some, uh, something together for people here um, is I care more about what goes on like I said, I care so much about the people in Japan, but I, I want to, like, I know people that go to Africa to try to build schools and shit. I know people that, you know, go and after something happens in another country, they run there to help. And I think that that's great. And, and it's, it's really a good hearted thing to do. And everybody needs that. But what I really want to do is, you know, I think about the young kids, uh, for the St. Jude's, you know, the St. Jude's, um, hospital that, you know, a young kid that's laying there with cancer at 14 years old, his life didn't even start. Um, that, that's heartbreaking to me. And, um, so what I think I'm going to do, I am doing a fundraiser on April 3rd at Stand Up New York for the, uh, for the Japan, the tsunami in Japan to raise as much money to send out to them as possible. So don't be like, oh, he's an inconsiderate prick. He only cares about what happens here. I'm not saying that cause I am doing, I am doing a fundraiser for that. I'm going to talk about it more in the next podcast. We're going to raise as much money as we can. Um, April 3rd at Stand Up New York, um, should be a great lineup and all the proceeds are going to be going to uh, to Japan, um, but I, I also want to put together a really big show. I don't know this is not cemented yet, but I want to put together something on a, uh, you know on a very big scale. I don't know whether it be a theater or just a big club, but I want to do something for the St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital. You know, having a son myself, and and uh, you know I don't know if I talked about this on on the podcast before, but um, when I was 22 years old, I was laying in the hospital, and they didn't know. If I had cancer, and those were the longest four days of my life, they took something out that was next to my appendix, along with my appendix, and um, they were like, "We never saw anything like this." There was a there was a mass there, and I'm laying there, and I had a lot of cancer around me with my mom, with friends of mine. Um, so it was really scary for me. And I, I remember I was 22 years old. I was only doing comedy a year and a half, and I remember laying there in the hospital those four days, saying, "Like if this news comes back bad." I'm never going to get the opportunity to do what I want to do. And part of the reason why I do what I want to do, uh, or I do what I want to do today, going out there, following my dream, making people laugh, becoming a better and better stand-up comedian, and, and giving people laughter is is because of that shit that I went through, laying there, not knowing if, holy shit, if this comes back cancer, um, you know, what's going to happen? You know, so when I think of my son... Uh, just being, a, you know, the love I have for him being this little kid and you think of anything going wrong health-wise, it's so fucking horrible and heartbreaking. And then I was sitting up the other night in the St. Jude's Hospital, you know, commercial came up and you're seeing these eight, you know, 10-year-old girls and boys, you know, with bald heads and, you know, they're sick and they got smiles on their faces because they're, they're trying to, you know, be positive. Uh, that's where I, you know, want to, you know, put all my attention and effort and energy. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to do something with that. Uh, you know, definitely try to do something with that. 
Um, but no, my heart goes out to my heart goes out to anybody who's in an unfortunate situation. But I just like some of these people. I heard somebody saying the only reason why I bring this up is I heard somebody saying, "Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go to Africa and help them build schools." And it's like, have you been to fucking Detroit? You know, it's like go to Detroit. D Detroit's been fucking bad forever. You know, go. Uh, you know, they could probably use still use help in in in, in New Orleans. Um, so I'm all about, you know, I'm all about making what's what's right home first. Uh, and if people disagree, I'm sorry. You know, I don't know what to tell you, but that's just how I feel about it. So um, I wanted to address that. So the time issue, okay, uh, going back to the time issue and the question, it all depends on like when the feeling is right. And um, another question I got, I got some emails and some posts. I'm going to try to get through as many as I can. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely do this one. Um, somebody said, uh, you know, getting booked and dealing with bookers and owners. You know, what is it like to get, you know, to, to deal with bookers and owners and try to get yourself booked? Um, it's really nice. Like, I have a manager, you know, and, and for the majority of my gigs on the road, uh, I've been fortunate enough to have somebody kind of deal with that for me or I just get a phone call and they're like, hey, you're going to Cleveland, you know, April 15th to whatever. I mean, those aren't solid dates. I'm just making an example. Uh, probably should have used December and have somebody fucking show up to Cleveland April 15th. Uh, <laughs> no, but... You know, they'll say, hey, you know, you're going out there for a week and, and that's it. You know, they tell you what the money is and, and that's, that's it. They give you your hotel information, you know, show up there and be there. Um, but now, you know, one thing I've learned in this business is, um, and, and any comedian will tell you, regardless of how good your agent, your manager is, you oh, nobody will ever care about your career in this business more than you. Nobody gives a shit more about you getting on stage, you getting, you know, it, you know, exposure, whether it be on TV or however you're going to get it. Nobody's going to care about that more than you. So, um, I always make phone calls to clubs. Um, sometimes, you know, managers get busy. They slack off, you know, they got other clients, they're busy, they're doing this. You never know what's going on in their life. They all, oh, yeah, they forgot. See that one phone call that they forgot, that could be a thousand dollars you rely on on the year. But since they're, you know, since they're fighting with their wife or they're fighting with somebody in their family, there's a death in their family. And you know what? Sometimes you can't blame them. They can't pick up the phone and make that call for you. And all of a sudden it slips through their fingers and you get screwed. So I always call. Sometimes owners are dicks. You know, they sometimes owners are failed comics. They wanted to be a comic and it didn't work out for them. Bookers too. Here's the really frustrating part, okay? Um, and I think this was... Uh, 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 Kevin in Massachusetts, if this is you, I think this is you, Kevin, because you, you've had some good questions before, but um, yeah, what really sucks is sometimes the bookers of these clubs never did stand-up or were in the business before, and I'm not going to mention any names or any certain comedy clubs, but I could tell you, there are some comedy clubs in this country where the bookers used to be a fucking waiter or waitress there, okay, and, and they're judging, they never got on stage and did what we do. They never got on stage and made a crowd of people up, and now they're the ones picking and booking you. Um, but then you could come across cool ones, like anything in life. You come across some assholes. You come across some people that are really cool, and it's just the you know, you know the 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 dickheads. You just try to be very kind of business like, be civil, get in there, do a good job, get your money, get out. Uh, you know, stay respectful so you could come back. But then there's sometimes I'll tell you what you know. There's there's one club where I won't go back because they're such dicks, and I did a great job. A matter of fact, I killed, and I'm not trying to be a dick. I went in there and I killed, and they act like they are so much better than everybody. 
not just the you know the, just even the, the employees and the way they treat people and it's like I'm not going to travel hours out of my life to be here because you are a, you know you're a fucking insecure asshole you know keep your fucking money shove it up your ass cocksucker cuz I don't give a fuck about it I'll get the next club where they treat us like a human being uh and their employees like a human being so it all it all depends you know on on the you know the person but there's nothing worse than when you hear an owner or a booker say, yeah, I tried doing comedy because already they don't like you because you're starting to succeed and you have a career and obviously they don't. So they bought the place so they could have the power. Um, so I hope that answers your question, you know, enough. You just want to. But when you get to a level where people know your comedy, respect your comedy and like you, you pretty much go to the places where everybody it's all, you know, it's great. It's all love. People are cool. And, uh, you know, and everything like that. So, uh, you know, you got to know when this one thing that I could tell anybody out there and any up and coming comedian who listens to this. Um, I know that I have some uh, comedian friends who are just starting out or guys out there who uh, who listen to the Verzi effect. Um, there's one important thing I got to say before I get out of here uh, and wrap up uh, episode 12. I will say this. You have to know when to say no. OK, there are times as a comic want to say yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, shitty $50 spot making no money, driving three hours. Yeah, we always say yes to those at the beginning because it's just about stage time. It's not about anything else but reps. You want to get your reps in. You want to get funnier. You got to be on stage. That's all good and well. But when you start to get to a point where, you know, your comedy is good and you know your comedy is good and you're getting better and you're respected, you got to know when to say no. And and a lot of times, oh, well, how could you say no and people get pissed off and offended? Money needs to be right you can't be taken advantage of, and not every gig is good or is going to work, and that's it, and that's the way it's got to be, and if people don't like it, that's fine, but you know what, I'm not going to drive X amount of miles for that money at the stage I'm at now, and there are people who would not even, ahead of me, who will not even drive to, to get the gigs that I'm, you know, that I'm getting, and then there are the higher people, you know, like the really big, big household names that won't go anywhere unless they're getting... Pfft, ridiculous amounts of money so it's all it's all relative to where your level is but know when to say no and don't be taken advantage of you know some of these people yeah i'll put you on two o'clock in the morning you know i'll give you 10 bucks and uh you know there'll be a, it'll be a shitty crowd that's tired they've been sitting there for four hours and you know you just gotta like it, it makes sense to be like you know what i want to see what my real comedy can do not be put in that shitty thing now at the beginning you got to do that at the beginning, I mean, you got to go anywhere and do anything just to get on stage. But once you get to a certain thing, I'm saying no one to say no. So uh, I hope that answers all the questions. I hope that helps out. Um, uh, we're almost 47 minutes in, so i got to wrap this up. But um, thank you so much for listening. Verzi Effect episode uh, 12. Uh, next one, I am going to decide. I do not know if episode 13 will be in California or if I'm going to do it right before California and then do one from California. So um, either way, stay tuned. These are available for free on iTunes. Um, anything that you can do to help out, you know, uh, the people in Japan, uh, especially with the show that we're doing on the 3rd. But, you know, go on, help those people. St. Jude's is an organization that I'm really looking forward to doing something with. So uh, all that. And uh, that's it. God bless you for listening. Thank you so much. The Verzi Effect, uh, Episode 12. Out of here. Talk to you next week.